0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Elevate You pod. My name is Diego. And on this episode, Mary, who is typically my co-host, will not actually be on. Uh, She's had some life circumstance stuff, and she will not be able to make it this time around. In lieu of Mary, we have a special guest who I feel like is very well-read and knowledgeable about what we're going to talk about today, which is work-life balance. But back to our guest. Her name is Jess Burgett. And how I myself and Mary know her is well, we used to work together down in Louisiana, and we all endured Louisiana together uh, to some extent. (laughs) (laughs) I might not keep that in. I don't know. But
1: (laughs) I think we should keep it in. It's real life. Yes. Real life is important.
0: True. But to give some background on Jess. So, she also is formerly educated in sports psychology, like Mary and myself. Jess is currently in school to finish her industrial organizational psychology degree. That's how you say it, right? That's what IO actually stands for.
1: <laughs> yes, you okay. nailed it. You did it.
0: Is there an emphasis or, or a concentration in your degree?
1: There is not.
0: Okay. But I understand that you also are like fascinated by leadership, like I, con- it- the concept of leadership.
1: 100%, I was about to say, if I could have picked a concentration, it would have been in leadership, in leadership development.
0: Yeah, I remember us talking many a times about different leadership styles and to what extent leaderships actually, or leaderships, leaders influence the group that they lead. And all that is especially relevant when you're working with the army and soldiers directly.
1: 100%, which such a fascinating, I mean, it's a very fascinating role. And then thinking about how anybody influences others and then how that goes to impact your career and then how you view leadership in the future. And it's never ending, Diego, really. It's we could like, talk about that for days.
0: Yeah, we could. And that might be something else. We another topic that we bring you on for Jess. Cause I know like I mentioned before, we, we definitely have spoken about it at great length and I'm sure we could continue to do the exact same thing over and over again.
1: <laughs> I'm sold. Whenever it is in the future, I'm sold.
0: Sweet. Oh, yeah. Before we go, can I get you to talk about industrial organizational psych for a second? I realize I mentioned sure. it, but I didn't really talk
1: about it. Sure. Industrial organizational psychology really looks at how people operate at work and function at work. So it's looking at how can we get people to perform at their best in teams individually? How can we increase leadership and management? How can we increase organizational processes and development, change management? So a lot of it would be just surrounding how, again, how we operate at work and then getting people to be at their best and knowing that work is a place where we go for many hours a day. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that people are are not just doing good work, but are, are satisfied across their jobs and across their tasks and performances, knowing that we impact one another, we impact the world through our work. And so how can we elevate the, elevate you? How can we elevate you at work? Really? Oh my gosh. <laughs> thank that's you for it. that.
0: Yeah. Thank you yeah, for you're that
1: welcome. one. <laughs> yeah. It's what I, it just came to me like a, just a dream. It's, just, it's amazing. Yeah.
0: Sometimes the stars align in that way.
1: They do. They really do.
0: So as you all can hear, that is precisely why we brought Jess on here. Well, besides the stars aligning thing, but also what she's studying for right now very much pertains to what our topic is for this episode. Yeah. So last episode, we, we spoke about mindset, specifically growth and fixed based on the work of Carol Dweck and a little bit of the research behind mindset. Mary and I would like to reiterate that mindset is a foundational skill and it's going to take time and practice to, to fully inhabit and operate out of a growth mindset, if that's something you want to do. But as with other skills, we would also love to hear about your journey if you have identified you need to make a switch in mindsets. But today, we're like I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking much more about elusive, hard-to-get work-life balance. And this particular topic was requested by a listener. I think when I speak for Jess and Mary, when I say that we probably feel it's it's a very important one to talk about. It used to be that one of work or life suffered and it was usually the life part that suffered because work has to come first. In my limited scope in terms of working with other professionals, a lot of times it's it's easy I feel like to to put work first. Especially for those individuals who maybe are still at the, at the beginning or right in the middle of their career, stuff like that, where maybe there aren't as many obligations outside of work that pull you away. So that way you have a lot more time and energy to devote strictly towards work. And that's, that's the camp that I particularly fall in right now. (laughs) So I I very much identify with with those individuals. But at the same time, that's not... So even though I I mentioned some individuals who uh, may be in the same set of circumstances like myself, but that doesn't necessarily accurately reflect everybody in the workplace. There are individuals who might be in what's considered the middle part of their careers you know, how you define that, it's up to, to the beholder, I guess, eye of the beholder. And then there are those who are also probably nearing towards the, the end, potentially, of their careers and maybe looking more towards what's after, what comes after. And I think it would be a bit disingenuous, or maybe we'd be doing a bit of a disservice to, to, to lump all these different categories into just one. And just because I specifically mentioned three categories, that also does not accurately reflect all of the different people that are in the workplace. But I think trying to talk about the nuance and the, the subtle differences between these different people could take all day. <laughs> so it's, it's it'd probably be a better idea to talk a bit more generally. And then the, you as a listener could pick the pieces that maybe are most relevant to you at your current stage of your career, or your life, and seeing what works best, what fits, and what you can essentially go by the wayside. So with that said, so I should also mention that the the listener who requested this particular topic also want us to highlight specifically individuals who are high-performing. I think everybody probably has their own interpretation, their own idea of what high-performance, high-performers mean, particularly as it comes to the workplace. I think that could be a place we could start our Discussion, Jess. I'll, I'll just give my take first, and then you can come in and correct if you want, if you need to. <laughs> you, you're the one that ha- that's a bit more knowledgeable, I think, on this topic than than I am. When we're talking about high performers, the way I perceive it is there's an average, right? And you're if you're a high performer, you're probably above the average, and there's a reason why. I mean, that might seem kind of obvious. But I think individuals who are high performing. I think of you know your your Elon Musk's. I think of your your Bezos, your Zuckerbergs, and these individuals who are famous for a reason. And oftentimes they are prioritizing work over everything and spending eighty hours a week, hundred hours a week, strictly on their businesses, on their work, whatever that really entails or means to them. And that's a I would say a big reason as to why they're in the positions they are today. And because they dedicate so much time to their work, to their craft, that means it's a conscious effort and there's a conscious choice there to not pour time into other things. I think depending on your life circumstances, being able to pour 80 to 100 hours of your life into work is going to be easier for some individuals and way, way harder for others, especially if you have a A family, if you have hobbies that you're really into, if you have a a lively social life as well, too, I think all those things are going to take a lot of time on your part, a lot of investment, and high performers probably are going to pick one or two of those things and leave everything else. But that's just from my perspective. So Jess, I'm curious as to what are your thoughts about my perspective of high performers, or if, if I'm on base, if I'm totally off, please let us know.
1: I'm with you. I think something that you mentioned was the conscious choice and the effort that goes into performing at a high level day in and day out. And I think to your your point too, and to add to your definition of you are above the average for a reason, and you've made that choice. And I think it also includes being consistent in those high performances day in and day out. So it's not just, do I hit a high performance now and again? or I'm inconsistent, but it's day in, day out. I am at a level that is above my peers or the average. I think something else would be to consider that some people just grasp high performance much faster than others. Some people grasp these skill sets and knowledge and abilities at different rates. Mm-hmm. So some of, some of the people that you had mentioned, I think also high high IQs, they had maybe opportunities that were afforded them that other people didn't have. Correct. So you have to take into account what do you mean how would you define a high performer? What's realistic because I think the within each industry a high performance looks different from industry to industry. Mm-hmm. Also you know what how would I categorize how would I qualify and quantify high performance? is it realistic? And then am I willing to sacrifice those things to get to the point where I want to be? And that's something that I think you could start at that point too of, is it even, is it realistic for me? Do I really want to be a high performer? And what am I willing to sacrifice in order to achieve what it is that I'm after?
0: Yes. And I like, the, well, all of it is about being way more specific in terms of what you mean or what you mean when you, when you say high performer, but also does that idea of being a high performer actually, is that feasible for you? Is that realistic? And I think, I mean, that kind of goes into another uh, topic that we're probably going to talk about, but I think a lot of people, they say high performer, but don't really have a clear idea of what they mean when they actually say it. And that's probably hurting them to be honest, in terms of, if they, if there's something that they want to strive for that they want to achieve is be a high performer, but don't really have like a number or a way to quantify that in real terms, then how are you going to know if you ever achieve that status as a high performer?
1: Yes. Actually, you know what I was, I was watching college football over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And do you know how on the helmets that certain teams, there's these goals that they set for themselves. And if they achieve those goals, they get a sticker on their helmet. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, that's kind of what I went through my head when you're talking of, if I can specify the things that I'm after and granted, we're not going to put stickers on our helmets or our faces or whatever, but
0: I mean, you could, if you want, but
1: <laughs> I think that would be great. I think that would be lovely if we all walked around with stickered faces <laughs> and just knowing though, that if you've outlined those different goals and, and those different performances or tasks with, within an overarching performance, then you, when you hit it, you know that you've hit it. Yes. And and so you can recognize because maybe some people are already high performers. They just don't even realize that they are one of the higher performers in their industry team Mm -hmm. um, organization. They haven't necessarily put themselves in a position to assess and measure their development and their progress and what they've actually achieved. And so they have no idea where they stand. So even doing those simple things at first can allow you to see where do I really stand and not against my peers necessarily, but against my own performance from, you know, one quarter to the next or one year to the next or decade or whatever, however you decide to quantify the time.
0: Yeah. And I think you mentioning that probably not even evaluating yourself in comparison to others. That's something that a lot of people do Mm -hmm. regardless of your particular industry or or line of work. I mean, I think there's a reason why we do that. And I think it does serve some function initially. Maybe it's to get like a basic understanding of a different range of performances and where they fall in terms of the spectrum of low to high quality. But from there, it might be a good idea (laughs) to necessarily abandon comparison with others, but maybe putting a lot less emphasis on that and going to what you're talking about, Jess, Comparing you to yourself from from yesterday, from the past week, quarter, year, what have you. That can serve as like a calibration process to, to see, yeah, like like you, you mentioned, just where you stand and potentially help you outline goals for the future. To help you monitor that progress as you move towards those goals that you set for yourself. Hopefully, sitting down and taking time to really understand what does it mean to be a high performer for myself. That can be a good starting place to, to understand how do you want your work to fit in the context of your life, and also help you put into place, hopefully, a different way to to look at work-life balance? I guess I don't. I feel like that's a buzzword that, like, it kind of like it's said so many times, it starts losing its meaning. Yes. And people just throw it out because it's you know it's what's catchy at the time. So maybe we should clear up a little bit about what we mean when we're talking about work-life balance. And I like this idea that. That you brought up that we talked about before recording this idea of instead of thinking about work-life balance as spreading out your time evenly across different areas of your life. And more so thinking about the quality of time that you're investing in each of these particular areas of your life. So whether it's your job, your family, your hobbies, your social life, pets, anything in between, anything I've missed, looking at the time invested, the quality, not necessarily the, the amount of time. That might be a better way to, to understand and look at and evaluate in terms of, are you happy with the quality of time you're investing in each of those areas? Does that make sense how I said that?
1: Well, and I think even the terminology that you used or the the idea that work-life balance is kind of this catchphrase or this buzzword. I do wonder if when people start to talk about work-life balance, if it's a way for them to Accept within themselves. Accept that things are off. There's something wrong. I, f- I don't feel good about some aspect of my life because I mean you already brought it up. Work is just one aspect of our lives mm-hmm. or one realm, and the idea that people are seeking something that looks more harmonious is even that that first. If you're considering it and you're starting to question, what is work-life balance? Is that even a thing? I think that maybe there's something, this like undertone.
0: Yeah. I think that's oh. what you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Undertone, undertone. Or like
0: underlying thing. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. There's this something under the surface. How about that? Something yes. under the surface that you inherently are feeling like something is off or not to the degree that you want it to be. And so you're starting to question this idea of work-life balance.
0: Yeah, I think you're I think you're you're really onto something. And maybe I shouldn't be quick to dismiss the buzzword of the day, right? But I think yes. ultimately, regardless of what people mean by work life balance, odds are there's something like you've mentioned, there's something there that's maybe off. And that it acts like a signal to tell you like maybe you should look into this whole allocation of resources and time across different aspects, areas of, of your life. And I, I mean, I think that's that's worth exploring and worth thinking about, worth really being specific in terms of what is it that you want and how is it that you're able to spread yourself essentially across these different areas? Because if you're not being intentional about it, then you're going to be reaction reactionary towards it. And I, I think that that principle applies across different disciplines not just like intentional versus reactionary we find that concept a lot in sports psychology that's essentially what sports psychology is all about when you think about it to, to a large extent is can you make your mind and have it work more intentionally as opposed to reacting to the different circumstances you find yourself in and I think that idea is going to be very very prevalent and strong when it comes to assessing and really exploring what is it that you want out of, your professional life versus your, your personal life. And maybe versus is not the right word, maybe like in, in tandem in conjunction with, because I mean, ultimately your work life is going to influence your personal life and vice versa to some extent.
1: When I, I, I love that you went to in tandem. I think the idea of work-life balance, there is this clash or this conflict versus I think if you are actually satisfied in both areas of your life. And I'm, I'm using both areas or are more than two areas of mm-hmm. life, but these major overarching areas of life, if they're working together, then they're not in conflict. And that does require a lot of factors to fall into place. For example, working in the right organization that can respect the boundaries that you put around work and vice versa, having a very supportive family and support group that will understand the ebbs and flows that happen at work. And so working in conjunction and having the people in both of those areas and the processes and the procedures in both of those areas of your life working in a way that is in the same direction rather than confliction. And really your idea of intentionality versus reactionary, what came to mind was even if you're intentional about setting parameters, if say something goes wrong, let's Mm -hmm. say at work, if something goes wrong at work, people are quick to give up family time because they feel necessity to do what they need to do to fix whatever is going wrong at work. If at home things go wrong, your work isn't going to care necessarily that things are happening at home. So when there's reactionary things that happen, a lot of times what, what's given up first is family because they're expected to cave, understand and be supportive more so than your work is expected to be supportive when things go wrong in your life. The The more, yes, that you can be intentional, though, about ensuring that no matter what happens, you have support and you have things in place to protect both your work life and your home life, I think can bode well in the long run versus just hoping that things don't go wrong. Because to me, when things do go wrong, it's going to most likely be your family life that caves first or is expected to cave first.
0: Right. And it's all done in the name of like professionalism too, which I think is a little counterproductive. (laughs) The only way to, to really get to that point of having that support system, whether it's your family or or whoever it is that's close to you, being able to to place boundaries at work in terms of what you're willing to necessarily give in, but what am I trying to say? Like be more lenient on in terms of timing, in terms of effort, attention, all, those things are only going to come if you as an individual know what you know what you would like work to look like in terms of how it fits with the rest of your life. And I'm going to keep coming back to that idea because I think it's worth it. We could give different strategies. We could give different ideas about things to do, but ultimately those ideas will, won't be worth much if you as an individual don't know how you want your your, your life to look like. In terms of the different areas of your life working together or working side by side, working in the same direction, as you put it, Jess. I think that's that's a, a very nice way to, to put it so that there is much less risk or chance of that conflict to occur, to happen, to begin with.
1: Well, and even, you, you know, I don't know if your parents ever said this when you were younger or you're growing up and, or, or anyone, friends could have said this too. You st- let's say you start dating someone. And people always advise, oh, well, you know, if you date someone that's a good fit for you, then you won't like lose friends, you won't have to give up your hobbies, you won't Mm -hmm. have to do all these things. And to me, an organization and your work life is also a relationship that that should be the same thing that's happening, you shouldn't have to give up the things that you care about to be in a relationship with this organization you know, if that's what you care about. So if you, if you care about your family, if you care about your hobbies, if you care about these other aspects of your life, the organization should also align with and support those things that are a part of you rather than strip you of those things. So I think to me, it's, it's kind of the same advice just applied to the workplace.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that
1: as crude as it is maybe, but
0: (laughs) No, but I mean, it it makes sense, though, because like that analogy, I think a lot of people might view as very unattainable, but I'm not entirely sure to what extent it is not attainable. I think oftentimes maybe it's like a lack of negotiation skills or something, something like along those lines where it's easy to to give in to the demands that the workplace places on you or holds over your head and not stand your ground. In that particular area, just because whether it's societal belief or some internalized belief that you hold yourself, maybe it was passed down by uh, your family or something learned along the way. I think these types of beliefs also get in the way in terms of, I mean, essentially finding the right fit, like like how you're saying with, with someone you're dating. Because I would hope the way people pick their partner includes evaluating how your beliefs align with that partner's beliefs and values align with their values, stuff like that. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. Why wouldn't you do that with the organization you're choosing to spend at least eight hours a day at for a yes. considerable amount of time?
1: Yes. Right. Like it, it makes, it makes too much sense of, and I think, I don't know if it goes back to, and maybe it's a couple of things. Maybe it's, I need to check in with myself. Is, is it that I doubt that I'm, worthy of being treated in a particular way. So if, if an organization is treating me poorly, am I allowing that to happen? Could be one thing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Another thing could be, maybe I just haven't asked. Maybe I just need to have that conversation. Like you mentioned earlier, the negotiation skills, if I haven't asked, then it's unlikely that your organization's going to come to you And ask you pertinent questions about, like, how do you? Some will, if you have a, if you have a great organization, a great Mm -hmm. leader, a great manager, they might come and ask you, how are things going outside of, you know, these walls? And but but if they don't, then maybe you have to have that conversation about, hey, here here's how I'm feeling, here's how I'm viewing my work, here's what I would like out of my life, here are my goals, and I want to make sure I'm moving in the same direction that the the organization and and my work is moving in the same direction as my life goals as well. So it could be something as simple as that. And I'm sure there are other factors, there are plenty of other factors at play here, but I do wonder that maybe we're not having the right conversations. Maybe we're not giving ourselves enough credit or have enough confidence in potentially having to leave organizations or asking for what we want or being thinking of ourselves as somebody that would be worth, making sure that we are well-balanced and mm. that we do deserve to have a say in how much we work versus spend time outside of work and what that looks like.
0: Yeah. What what you just said reminds me, I was, I recently followed Adam Grant on Instagram.
1: Oh, my so guy.
0: Adam Grant is, do you know what his title is? It, I just can't, I forgot right he,
1: now. He's a professor at the school of the Wharton school of business penn state or okay. upenn i'm sorry upenn and he yeah he's a professor there for he does io psychology but he also writes books he does research so he he wears many hats essentially yes.
0: and i think he's also another great resource of knowledge particularly as it, as it relates to work from my limited time looking at his instagram page and following him he's put out a ton of information and a ton of different useful i think generalized guidelines to kind of help identify and maybe move towards a more ideal work situation. But one thing that I looked at the other day, he was talking about how people tend to take breaks from work when they're at their absolute like breaking point versus taking breaks as a way to as, as much more like a preventative type of measure. And it goes back again to the intentionality versus reactionary idea. But he he put up a like a little picture, and it was like when you look at or in your in your car and you see the, the oh, what am I blanking on? The, like the gas reader, the gas meter, right? What <laughs> what is that called? I forget the fuel. That, gauge. that,
1: that light yes. that turns on and, and the, beeps at you.
0: The fuel gauge. That's what I'm looking.
1: The for. fuel gauge, of course.
0: So. He's equating it to like if this is how I interpret it at least. Like if you're driving some like home from work and you see that maybe you have a quarter tank left. I think a lot of us tend to grind out that quarter tank as much as we can and then get gas, which might add an extra however many minutes to our, our regular workday commute instead of, you know, when you're at that quarter tank on your way home. Realizing, okay, I only have a quarter tank left. I probably should go to the gas station on my way home and refuel there, as a preventative thing, so I don't have to wake up earlier or I don't have to rush on my next workday commute. That even that analogy itself it can be very relevant, or maybe like a particularly I don't know what I'm trying to say. Resonant, maybe I don't know. That's that doesn't make any sense.
1: (laughs) I I mean, I I I might have COVID.
0: I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean I, I shoot if if this is you on covid then <laughs>
0: yeah this is my brain you're a, on COVID. you're a
1: brilliant man i do know you diego you're brilliant well you know what Thank so you. some something that you just mentioned though makes me think of okay if if i'm at a quarter of a tank i have left i have to know myself well enough to And and be honest with myself enough to say, I only have a quarter tank left. And then I also have to know my recovery options Mm -hmm. and what actually provides me energy, what actually provides me resources back. And that's difficult, especially if you haven't practiced those things, you haven't tested the waters of, okay, what does it feel like when I am, you know, I, I'm, my tank is half full. And where, what does it feel like when my tank is a quarter full? What does mm-hmm. it feel like when I'm completely empty? And then also how much does this particular strategy or technique fill my tank back up? So whether it's exercise or family time or vacation or reading or yoga or whatever, mm-hmm. then how much does that really give me back? And in what ways, and how quickly too, like in what ways does it refuel me? And then how quickly does it refuel me? And all of those things are really difficult to answer if you haven't tried it out or you haven't given the space and time to explore those those areas.
0: And I think there's not a better time than now to start thinking about those things.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I, I mean, we all are sharing one particularly unique circumstance in our everyday lives being the hashtag pandemic For a lot of people, work has changed pretty significantly. But at the same time, I think there are also a lot of people where work has largely stayed the same. For better or worse, right?
1: Let's say I saw a, a statistic the other day of since the pandemic, people's days have gotten longer. And I think that's because there's the blurred line between... When I go to work, I'm at work. When I come home, I'm home and I'm less likely to do work things for some people, not for all people. Yes. But but having this freedom of working from home then blurs the line of when does my workday start? When does my workday end? Because my surroundings don't change. And so if I'm not careful then work can quickly and has bled into my personal life because for various reasons too, like if there's nothing to go and do, if you're, if you're staying at home and you're practicing social distancing and, and all of that stuff, you have less available to you. So it, it makes more sense where people would engage and work longer because mm-hmm. it's something to do and they can. But I also think that if you aren't, if this is new for you of staying home and working remote, remotely, then it's easy to have those things blend together and not really ever be shut off completely.
0: That particular circumstance really throws a wrench in (laughs) this whole idea and trying to understand to what extent and or what does work-life balance actually look like for some individuals. Or and I think there are some people who still go to a physical location for work. However, there's maybe an expectation that was imposed by the organization or by themselves that if there's an email a call a text that comes in after regular work hours there's that expectation to reply or to pick up the phone to to handle whatever the situation is um and i i see that a lot with soldiers Mm -hmm. they're in a particularly also like very unique circumstance however i do think that expectation versus, or the expectation obligation runs true for a lot of people even outside the army, Um, particularly those individuals who are probably considered high performers. And they're the ones who are reliable on a consistent basis and have dealt with similar situations in the past. Therefore, whenever a new situation arises, they're the ones who are called, who are sent text messages, who are emailed after work hours because they've proven and shown they can handle situations like this at outside of work hours. So not trying to blame anybody, <laughs> but consider <laughs> like have, are, are you the type of person who regularly gets these, regularly gets these outside of work hours situations to deal with? And some of it might be because you are a high performer and without maybe setting certain boundaries or not addressing certain expectations in a meaningful way, uh, having the right conversations, like you were mentioning earlier, Jess. This whole process, it, it sounds tricky. And I think to a large extent it is. However, i it's worth it to have these discussions with your employer, with your immediate supervisor, whoever it is to figure out like, okay, here's what I want. How, here's how maybe we can have this fit within the the role that the company sees me fulfilling, so to speak. So that way maybe there is a bit less blurred lines of when does a workday end and when does personal time start? Again, that's probably easier said than done.
1: <laughs> to your point, I think the question becomes can you still be a high performer within a really, let's say a, a condensed workday. Mm. And I I think that the answer is yes, but how many high performers are willing to model the fact that they can do what they do in four hours and then still have the rest of the day to themselves? Because we still have this, this stigma or this mentality or mantra. I I don't know all the above where in Western culture, it's about, I want to be the first one in, I want to be the last one out. I have to prove myself, uh, the, The more hours I put in, the better. When to me, sometimes it's about the more hours you put in might just signal that you're inefficient. It might not mean that you're being efficient with your time. Right. So just because you're putting in more time doesn't mean that you're actually, it's not going to necessarily translate to a better performance. How are you operating within the, let's say the eight hours that you're given, how are you operating within that? And more hours doesn't mean better. Mm -hmm. And, And even thinking through, that idea where hopefully there's going to be more people out there that that can prove and show that it's not about the time it goes back to that that same discussion we had earlier about it's about the quality that i'm putting into these things rather than the time and how can i get really good within a short a shorter period of time is i think very difficult and i don't know that a lot of people are talking about cuz even you, you mentioned Adam Grant so he does One of the things that he does is he focuses specifically on one thing in certain areas or time of the year. So for example, he teaches in the fall Mm -hmm. and then he doesn't do any more teaching for the rest of the year. He does his research and he does, he writes and he does articles and all that in the spring. And then I think in the summer, same thing, he might write some articles, but I think he also then revamps his, his, whatever he's going to be teaching in the fall. And he just repeats the process. So his brain is focused on one thing, whatever time of life or time of the year that he's in, and then he moves on to the next thing, but he doesn't, he works, I'm sure longer hours that I have no idea, or maybe he works only four hours, but regardless, what he does is really, he gets really in depth in one thing for an extended period of time and focuses mm-hmm. all the attention in that area. So again, all, all that to say, like less can be more and hopefully more high performers like him will come out and kind of give their breakdown of here's how I operate. Here's why it's been helpful for me. I don't actually put in a ton of hours. I'm just really focused. When I go to work, I'm focused. And then when I go home, I am doing what I need to do to recover and to spend time with my family. And I have all these things that I'm enjoying. I'm very satisfied in my life and across all the realms of my life that I have. And I don't necessarily need to sacrifice anything per se.
0: Something you mentioned with, particularly with Adam Grant, like he has really cued into when he needs to work on something specific when it, depending on the time of year. But I mean, as a professor, some of that is kind of laid out for you. Like if he's really hyper focused on teaching during the summer and and fall, grants it in different ways, depending on summer or fall, but also during the spring when he's more focused on research and maybe some of his, his uh, like books and, Maybe presentations outside of of being a professor. I think there, there's like he's really tuned into how his work changes depending on, for his case, time of year. The idea is your work is probably going to change and ebb and flow depending on whether it's on a quarterly basis. Uh, maybe new fiscal years bring about different responsibilities. The beginning versus end of a fiscal year or beginning end of a month. If there's like some sort of quota <laughs> involved in your line of work. And I think all those different things will influence to what extent you should be focusing on one part of work, which might mean more hours or might mean less hours, depending too. I I can imagine if like someone's really good at, if they're a salesperson, right? And they met their quota early enough in the month, then not necessarily that they're coasting, but maybe they don't have to nearly pour in as much mental energy effort into their work and maybe they can switch off a bit easier. When it comes time to, to leave work versus maybe at the beginning of the month where the quota hasn't been met yet, there's that's where that effort and that attention is probably turned on a bit more and a bit with more intention behind it. So that way, the the right amount of effort, the right quality of effort is there when it needs to be there,
1: mm-hmm. Just
0: when it doesn't necessarily have to be there.
1: That reminds me of like the the eight hour workday. Mm mm-hmm back in the day when I think it was Henry Ford that started it back in factory time where it, eight hours made sense for high productivity and having maybe, kids well, on the assembly line. How, yes. <laughs> and uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. They don't mean to throw you off there.
1: No, no. And also just thinking about safety, right? So fatigue and just, yep. it, it's the right amount of time where there accidents aren't happening. We're getting high productivity that no longer necessarily makes sense for the type of work that most people do. I'm not saying that that's not relevant for some industries or for some jobs, but for the most part, let's say let's take like a knowledge worker. It makes no sense to put a time limit in the sense of oh in 8 hours I'm going to accomplish all of these things consistently every day 8 hours makes sense. It doesn't. So to to measure your days and and I know that we you know we talked about this before the podcast Diego, but just how do you measure a successful day? How do you measure a successful quarter? How do I measure that I'm I'm meeting the satisfaction in at work, at home? What is it that's helping me gauge where I'm at? And maybe it is like your physical health or how much um, you're noticing your mood state. As far as most days, I feel very happy. I feel very joyful. I very, I feel very gratuitous towards my family, towards my home life Mm -hmm. towards my hobbies, my work, but, but having some kind of gauge to, to assess. And that goes back to the tank idea of I'm driving. Do I know when I am, I'm depleted. Do I know when I am satisfied? Do I know when I am working too hard or I'm not working hard enough? Because there's the other side of the spectrum too, where maybe you're not putting in the effort that you need in all the areas of your life. And so it's not even about burnout, it's just my efforts aren't quality effort either. So you having some kind of gauge really matters.
0: To add on to like that the finding that gauge and, and realizing when are you full versus depleted, that implies like a very like you need to do this on your own, which is not necessarily going to be the case. Like if if you want to understand what does it mean to have a successful home life and you're in a relationship or you have a family, you probably should bring those individuals that you have a relationship with or are in a family with to help you <laughs> define what being successful as a partner, as a parent, as a sibling, whatever it is, what does that look like for yourself, but also the people that you're interacting with on a regular basis? That is something that, Jess, you mentioned before we actually recorded, but I think that's something that people are probably not thinking about, which is probably very important because we all have ideas of what being successful in each of these different areas of our life might look like, but if it involves other people, then there's always going to be an element of flexibility and adaptability because you cannot control how other people perceive you, how they act, how they feel. And it's worth considering all those things in terms of how much are you influencing how someone acts, someone feels someone perceives you, if they're important enough to be considered.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that you brought that up because the feedback that you get from those people that are important to you can help you make the changes that you need to make if they need to happen. So while you may be caught up in something like work, mm-hmm. if someone from the outside, say your spouse or, or one of your kids or a family member, friend, whomever is giving you this feedback of like, hey, I, I miss you. I, I don't see you enough. I feel like our relationship is slipping or I feel like we're, we're there's some distance between us or whatever the case may be. That good feedback is hard to hear. However, it, sometimes it's that guilt or that shame or, or the, the discomfort that we're feeling that can drive us to make the changes that we need to make.
0: Because yeah. without
1: that feedback, without checking in with the people that we love, we just continue that perpetual cycle of just living life and being to your point which you mentioned earlier less deliberate less intentional when if we can check in with people it can help us make those changes faster so we aren't reactionary we're being very deliberate about shifting the car or the boat steering the boat in the right direction yeah. constantly and that's okay cuz you know i mean that's a boats i'll go there so <laughs> But think about how quickly where boats can get off track. It's like very slight and your boat can can go and get caught in current and like just you end up where right. you did not attend very quickly. So constantly being checking in and figuring out, am I still you know heading in the direction I want to be heading with the people I want to be heading in those directions with and bringing them along and including them because it's it's their life too that you're impacting. We all are connected in different ways. And so ensuring that the decisions you decide to make are not just for ego protection, status protection, but the connections that we care about and the relationships we care about are being fostered along the way as well.
0: And I'd be willing to wager that those individuals that we are impacting a lot probably have very specific pieces of feedback to give you (laughs) that are probably going to be very, very helpful, somewhat hurtful, (laughs) uh, potentially if the objective is to get a better sense a better feel for work and life and the balance between the two it's going to be something necessary to to propel you forward and adjust accordingly and going back to I, I mentioned like being adaptable and flexible is going to be important for this and i think bringing in these individuals who are important to you who impact you and you impact them on a regular basis not just once to like as like a like a baseline type of thing but consistently and that can span and look in different various ways Tho- those individuals can also serve as a way to check in and monitor progress too that's something that a lot of people may may not be doing is checking in progress in terms of how they want their lives to look like essentially is what we're talking about at this point <laughs> um if those individuals are people you value you probably want to bring them in into the fold a lot more often than, than maybe what you're doing already.
1: Well, and that, that's a great point because as you think about, as you age, as you further in your career, you head towards retirement. And then what's after retirement, more time spent on those other areas of life besides work. Maybe you're, or maybe you always work part-time or you'll vol- volunteer, or do something, but mm-hmm. you then it's, then it really is about your relationships. It really is about your hobbies. It's about all these other aspects of life where if you haven't checked in and you get to that point where you're transitioning out of work and into a different phase of life, if you haven't really cultivated and, and grown those areas of your life, that's going to be a really hard transition as well. You get there and you're like, Oh, I don't know who I am. I don't know my relationships. I don't know what I really do outside of work. And so making sure that along the way, you're thinking about how do I transition along these major, like you had, you brought up the the three, like the early in my stage of my career, middle of my career, and then the end of my career. And then also thinking outside of just career, but also in my relationships, how do I want those to look along these major milestones of early in my relationship, middle, towards the end, or, well, it never ends, I hope. Uh you, and then I would hope,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I'm I'm hoping that for everybody. Or hobbies, right? Like how do I transition in and out of hobbies mm-hmm. accordingly? If it's things that you can no longer do, maybe it's really physical, and as you get older, you can't really perform those things, but you take over other hobbies. Just being mindful of those different areas of life and like how your time and your effort and resources will be spent differently based on your age, based on your maturity level, your physicality, all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh man, so much we talked about already. I know. <laughs> Maybe it'd be worth it to do like a little quick recap. Sure. Um, we can start with what it means to be a high performer. That's something that's going to be probably highly customizable to use an individual. At the same time, understanding what a what an ideal work life balance looks like is going to be very very customizable and should be tailored to you as an individual, but also the type of organization you'd like to work for, work with, however you'd like to phrase that, and the individuals that you are impacting on a regular basis and those that are impacting you on a regular basis. Understanding how you would like these different areas to work together in a very specific way. That could be something useful to begin your journey on getting a better work-life balance or however you'd like to phrase it. Some other factors to consider along the way are the stages of your career, stages of relationship, hobbies, the things that you really value. And being, I think here's a good thing that you mentioned earlier, Jess, a good point, was being really honest with yourself about these things. Um, I think oftentimes it's easy to, to kind of shirk away responsibility and, and really be like, no, that's fine. It's okay where it is. It's like, is it really okay where it is? And that's where maybe bringing somebody else along those that you live with, those that you interact with on a regular basis can be helpful if a little bit hurtful. Uh, But that's where having a growth mindset comes back in. So you don't take the feedback personally, if you take what is useful and implement that in going forward. And speaking of implementing, talking about progress and being adaptable as it comes to your journey in terms of having a more organized or structured work-life balance. And going back to the analogy you used, Jess, of the boat, right? One current could shift the trajectory of your your trip, so to speak, the trip being your life <laughs> in such a dramatic, drastic way. So that's where course correcting is gonna be very crucial and, and checking in regularly on terms of your progress. Uh, or if you're not making progress, I mean, that's something that happens too. Um, I would imagine most people realize their goals are not always a linear path. There's going to be some bumps along the way, some regressions potentially along the way too. That doesn't mean that you need to stop whatever it is. If you just hit a bump, being able to, to check in honestly and course correct as needed. And, and then ultimately like really knowing what does it look like when you've achieved success in one area of your life? How do you know once you've achieved something that you deem successful, that you deem acceptable, satisfactory, and that is something that we cannot answer for you as much as I think it'd be cool to have all the answers for everything. That is something I will never possess. So <laughs> in terms of dictating how your life goes, that's going to be largely on you and how you would like your life, work-life balance to go. Is there anything I'm missing or anything you'd like to add, Jess?
1: No, I mean, I think, I think you summed it up very well. Just knowing thinking differently about work-life balance, more or less, am I satisfied in all the areas of my life? Do I have the goals that I'm, you know, looking to attain? Do I mm-hmm. Have I specified them and articulated them? And then have I been able to measure when I'm achieving those milestones? Have I Can I measure when I'm not headed in the right direction? And, and do I have those techniques and those strategies to get myself back on course? And, and, and I think even that self-compassion piece that maybe we didn't talk about explicitly, mm-hmm. but just accepting, hey, I'm not going to have this right all the time. It is a journey. It's a continuum. It's not meant for you to always feel or be experiencing perfection, but rather knowing it can be ugly. It can be difficult. You may not get it right, but that you're willing to adapt and you're willing to get that feedback and you're willing to constantly reflect and say, Am I where I want to be? And if you can do that, I think more often than not, you will find that you are satisfied in life, in all areas of life, but at least you're working in the right direction and you're constantly figuring it out. And that's, that's the point.
0: People are oftentimes looking for that silver bullet type of solution and quick fix.
1: If only man, if only <laughs> yeah, we, we would be rich.
0: Yeah. You and I both know, I think probably better than a lot of people that <laughs> they're, Oftentimes, and by often, I mean like 99% of the time, no such thing exists. It's, it's a very much a process that is probably being refined over and over and over again across time. Again, thank you, Jess, for being our super special guest on this episode.
1: Well, wow, um, thank you for making me feel so super special. Of course. It's been lovely.
0: And I hope the listeners have... Picked some pieces out, if not everything that we've talked about today and found something useful that can hopefully impact, impact your life in a positive way, more productive way, however you'd like to phrase it. With that said, we would like to thank you all so much for being with us for this episode. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, hopefully you heard something today that you can use to elevate you. If you want to know more or understand a bit more about any of the topics we talked about, Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram. Well, except Jess, because Jess is not on social media. But you can always reach out to us on Instagram. We are at AZ Sports Psych, and the podcast is on Instagram at Elevate Pod, and on Facebook, I believe it is AZ Sports Psych. But if you have any any questions, comments, concerns, feedback that you'd like to to give to us, we will do our best to address any of those as they come in. Mary and I, we rely a lot of on external feedback to help us get better. So that is something we take very seriously. Uh, oh yeah, to reach us via email. You can email us at elevate at That is oftentimes one of the best ways to, to request certain topics. The email would be the best way to do that. But you can look forward to another interesting topic for our next episode and Mary and I definitely hope we can get Jess on again uh, for any other topic that dying to talk about, maybe leadership. I think that's something that's interesting. Always, I'm always down to talk about leadership. Again, thank you all so much for listening and until next time, bye.
1: Bye.